my friend Brandon Brittingham says, nothing wrong with being humble, nothing wrong with stepping into your superpower. And Dave Gatto, his superpower is kind of mentioned right here over my shoulder, never giving up. At the pre-show, Dave, welcome to the show. Should welcome you in first, right? Hey, thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, man. We're going <laughs> to light it up today. I think that stage where I first met you at, the Success Summit back in, uh, what was that, October of 23, uh, that stage is still on fire from you were just back and forth like an animal, oh, just yeah. pouring into that audience, sharing your story. But you said this sign, 97% who quit are employed by the 3% that never gave up. That never give up is definitely your superpower. Mm -hmm. And you said, you said uh, long ago, you saw that sign in, uh, what was it? A, a customer's garage. Tell us about that. Yeah, so we were putting a fence in. This was, this was when I was just getting started. So I was learning my industry and, you know, I really wasn't good at marketing. I really wasn't good at sales at the time. So I was taking some sub work, some subcontracting work, and I subbed for another fence company. Well, anyways, the guy gave us some, you know, some sodas and stuff and we were in his garage. And I remember seeing that sign that 97% of people are employed by the 3% who never gave up. Right. And I thought about that. Right. And it really resonated with me because, you know, I'm not saying it's everybody, but a lot of society, I mean, they, they run in the, the one hiccup, right. Things become uncomfortable and, you know, they don't see it through. Right. And, yeah. and they give up and, you know, I mean, not everybody's meant to be a, a CEO or, or, you know, a, a business guru, but, you know, very few people are. So I'm happy to be part of that uh, group that is. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that's a very good point. We'll talk about that for a minute and then get into what brought you to that garage, because that's not the start of your story by any stretch. Uh, man, there's so much, so much you have to share, and I want to pull it out here on our time today. But, uh, uh, you know, yeah, there, there's folks like you and I that employ people, lead people, right? Um, pour into others through talking on stages, et cetera. And then there's other people that are very content, very happy in life. To, to be the custodian, to, you know, uh, be the receptionist, be the person, you know, my, my guest that I had on the show previously, Dan Cricks, he, uh, he started his career working in a foundry for Ford Motor Company. And there's people that just love that. That's what they love to do. And that's cool. I think what's incumbent upon us as leaders, though, is to ensure we've leveled up those people, those humans around us. Are you settling? for that position or is this something there's there more to extract from you? I think, isn't that a call we have to extract greatness from everybody around us? Oh, absolutely. You know, um, and it comes down to, it comes down to leadership and it comes down to, you know, what, what your actions are, you know, um, what people see you doing, you know, and I think that's a, that's a good starting point for that, you know, um, cause at the end of the day, like, you know, you know, business, it's, it's not all about money. You know, it's about it's about affecting a, a wide audience around you. It's about affecting the people around you. Like you know, when you seen me at that summit, right? You seen that like ninety percent of my staff showed up, yeah. clocked out, shut my warehouse down, and came over to see me and to support me. And that's an example of affecting people around you. Leadership, they're inspired by me, you know. And so that's a you know direct result of what you're talking about right there in action. Yeah. Yeah, it was really cool to see because honestly, like your crew rolled in deep. I'm like, because we were in a city, I'm like, man, what's about to go down here? Right. Like <laughs> it was like they came in like an entourage. I wasn't, I wasn't too sure what was going on at first. Uh, yes, hey, Chris, Dave, can Dave. you flip back? 
Can you flip back real quick? One more flip back right there. That picture right there. Oh yeah. Uh, with, with that's, so that's Dave's wife, Holly. And by the way, real quick, if you catch the big ticket life on audio, you're doing yourself a disservice. I know some people like to just listen to podcasts on the go, headphones in, lifting weights, cutting the grass, whatever. Mm-hmm. But we do, we do broadcast this live every Tuesday and, and put a video show together with it. So at least come back to the YouTube channel and check it out. But, uh, man, this, this picture right here to me is relationship goals. Um, oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, look, if you see this picture, you look at how David's wife, Holly's looking at him in that moment. That says a lot about their relationship. Oh, absolutely. That was probably one of the single best photographs that I ever received. And that was from um, Mark McIntyre from Make a Mark Photography. He actually came to my event and photographed it for free. Um, and he was part of our Toys for Tots event too. But yeah, I didn't even, you know, I didn't even know that was happening at the time. Uh, but when I, I caught that moment right there, like I'm telling you, that, that one brought a tear to my eye. That really did. Yeah. You know, he, um, how proud my wife is of me. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you say leadership is about showing examples. I mean, leadership isn't just in the workplace. It's at the home. It's with your kids. It's with your spouse. What What are some things you're doing to get that, uh, get that, uh, your lovely wife, Holly, looking at you that way? You know, um, honestly, I think a lot of it is, it's the love of the Lord, right? Um, it's having, you know, a Jesus in our life, um, being an example to our kids, raising them correctly, you know, and a big part of it as well is that I am an entrepreneur and I have engineered my company out so that it runs without my presence, right? So I put the hard work in now so I could really focus on my family a lot. You know, I don't miss the games. I don't miss the plays. I don't, you know, I'm there for all of that stuff, for the practices and you know, I'm present for my family. And I think, you know, coming from the background that my wife and I both have, like we really appreciate the small things, you know, um, when it's really cold outside and it's raining or it's snowing, like we really appreciate that warm house. And, mm-hmm. you know, because we've been homeless, right? Um, so those little things, they're thoughts that people who haven't been through that probably aren't thinking in their house, you know? And, you know, I think that connection has brought us really, really close in that respect. Yeah, man. I love all that. Love all of that. You know, um, we'll get to, we'll get to that point. You touched on it. You say, we appreciate a warm house because we're homeless. I want to get into that part of your story here in a minute, but you say, you know, you don't miss the plays with your kids, you know, uh, still to this day, my wife and I will go, it's not every Friday, our our oldest boy, who's 19, he's going to be 20 next year. Um, you know, uh, or here soon. Uh, we still go to watch him bowl in his league. We're still his parents. He still lives at home. He's our child. I go to my son, my youngest boy, who's going to be um, a junior next year for football. I'll go to those practices in the summer. I'll sit on the bleaches. And it's like, I'm the weird dad. Mm-hmm. But the the reality is I miss so much of that stuff years gone by because I wasn't focused. You know, I well... I shouldn't beat myself up. I guess I was very focused on creating the life we have today. Sure, and that 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 did come, unfortunately, at a sacrifice at times. And right. uh, but uh, but I go and I'm I'm I look at it this way. I'm not that weird parent. I'm that parent who's very interested in our kids. Plus, yes. well, my son, not that he does it often, but if he wants to cop an attitude with what the coaches are doing, mm-hmm. 
I've now seen with my own eyes. Right. Here's, well, you're just misunderstanding it. Mm -hmm. I get to course correct that way, right? And so that's, when you say raise your kids right, like you got to be interested in the environments your kids are in. Absolutely. And not just take what they bring home. Yeah, I agree 100%. Yeah. You know, I know a lot of successful entrepreneurs and I always ask them, and a lot of them are retired now, and I always say to them, hey man, what is your biggest regret that you have through your entrepreneurial journey? And it's always that, always that, that I did not, I did, I missed all the stuff with the kids. I missed all the stuff with my wife. I don't know my wife, you know, and whenever they were saying that stuff, I always said, you know, that is never going to be me, you know? So that's a big reason why I ended up engineering, delegating, automating, eliminating things in my company, you know, because I knew what my end goal was, right? So, you know, that's just a, you know, I don't want to be that uh, father, you know, because at the end of the day, when, you know, we're in that deathbed, I don't want to have those regrets. You know, I want my kids to to know me and to remember me and, you know, because that affects the way that they're going to raise their kids too. So we got to keep that stuff in mind. Yeah, 100%, man. It kind of, I mean, I'm literally getting some goosebumps here as you're, as you're saying it because... Uh, you know, those, those, those entrepreneurs of wisdom, they are right. You know, no, it's funny. None of, none of those older, older cats, older guys, gals say, you know, I had a hundred stores. I really wished I had 150. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had a thousand employees. I wish I had 2000. You never hear that. Yeah. It is always back to the family. It is always, I wish I had more time And that deathbed thing, man. Yeah. The goal is to be surrounded by the people you love, not not left like, well, you didn't take time for me back then. I ain't taking time now. That's probably the saddest thing you could hear in life. Oh yeah. And it's a, uh, it's a reality too. So man, I heard you speak and I said, you lit the stage on fire. You did. I mean, I think you wore the, literally wore the carpet out. There's, you know, the, you know <laughs> I, I'm sure in, in, in the national uh, association of speakers, there's a training that says, you know, you stand this way, and deliver this part of your speech. And this is why you want to watch the video because I'm posing right now. Mm -hmm. You stand this way and you kind of hand on the hip and hold the microphone this way. And Dave was just back and forth and back and forth, just preaching and laying mm -hmm. it out. So why don't we get into um, what your story is about, man? Where'd you come from? And and we'll show this Walmart picture here as he as you know throughout it, but that Walmart picture is really important. We'll put a bow on the story with that. But take us back to the beginning, man. Yeah. So you know, I'm not really gonna get all into my past like that because you know, from age 14 to 33, my life was a continuous war story, right? So we would take up multiple shows talking about that, but. I can I can sort of like, you know, summarize 19 years of chaos like this, right? At age 14, I had ran away from home. I stole the vehicle, right? Started, you know, I got involved with drugs and alcohol, started hanging out with the wrong crowd. That had led to a juvenile life sentence, right? And from age 14 to 19, I had been incarcerated in a place called Vision Quest. And that just sent me into this tailspin, right? From there, it was prison. Then I started popping up in rehabs. Then I started popping up in halfway houses, psychiatric wards, homeless shelters. And then I had experienced Jeff, a very, very long time of homelessness in my life. You know, and I'm not, I'm not talking about like, you know, surfing around on people's couches, homeless man. We're talking about sleeping in abandoned buildings, eating out of trash cans. That type of stuff had went on until one day it all ended for me. 
And that was on February 21st, 2014, my 33rd birthday. And that's when I was arrested um, at Walmart for the very last time and sent back to jail. You said February 13th, 2014? February 21st, 2014. Yeah, that's when I had been arrested and that's when I started changing in prison, right? So um, when I had been released from prison, when I had been arrested, my clothes were soaking wet, right? So in that time that I had spent in jail, from the February 21st and when they released me, my clothes had become molded, right? So I remember the COs going into a dirty laundry bin in there and digging stuff out for me. And so they gave me a pair of, you know, commissary sweatpants. I had a commissary V-neck t-shirt that they had given me to leave out of there in. And they gave me $3 that I had been arrested with and a clear plastic garbage bag to put all my possessions in, which at the time was just two chicken ramen noodle soups and two instant Maxwell coffees. And they sent me on a bus down to the square, right? And that's where my whole journey had happened, right? And so I can remember I wasn't from York. I had been kicked out of a rehab in the middle of the night and dropped off in York. So I really didn't know my way around. And eventually I had caught myself, you know, just wandering on a street that I now know today is North George Street, right? And I can remember being freezing cold out there, not having anybody to go to, not having anybody to talk to. My feet hurt, my legs hurt, my back hurt. And I can remember putting my hands in my pockets to warm them up and I felt that $3, Jeff. And I can remember the thought coming into my head and the thought said, Dave, take that $3, grab a beer, let's warm up, let's figure this thing out together, just like old times. Right. And I can remember in that moment, I had looked to the left and there was a beer and chicken joint right there, all lit up called third base. And this is the part of my life that changed, right? Because there was something that never happened to me that happened to me in that moment. Right. And I can remember that I had just looked up in the sky at that moment and I said, God, I need a miracle. And I said that out loud. Right. And there was no miracle in that moment. You know, there was no lightning, no thunder. And I had just, you know, I just continued with my night and I kept walking up that street. And eventually I found a place to sleep in that night where people wouldn't see me, which was Prospect Hill Cemetery. And I slept on a tombstone that night in that cemetery, right? And in the morning when I had woken up, the miracle had happened for me, right? I left out of there the way that I had came And I ran into a friend of mine who had been incarcerated, Graham Gallagher. He has passed away since. Um, But anyways, he introduced me to a guy, Bob Allen, at Life Speaking Foundation, who in turn had given me a place to stay, right? Never knew me. He's seen the trash bag. You know, he was talking to some lady. And I can remember going across the street to the house where he said that I could stay. And when I stepped on that sidewalk, Something made me look to my left. And when I looked to my left, I seen that third base right there, right? And then the goosebumps broke out for me because in that moment I had realized that I was standing in the exact spot where I had asked God for a miracle that night. And for me, that was just a huge roundabout turning moment in my life, you know? And, and you know, it was shortly after that that my whole entrepreneurial a journey had started. Hey, I want to pause on that 
I mean, fantastic start to your story. And yeah, when I said take us back, I didn't mean like, you know, take us back to the conception of Dave Gallo. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. But, but you did a great job, man. You yeah. really did. Yeah. Uh, you set the table great for people watching and listening. You know, so, you know, somebody of faith as well and a believer, it's it, that story is interesting. I didn't pick up on it the first time I heard it. Mm hmm. So the Life's Beacon facility was adjacent beside the third base chicken place, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so you asked God for a miracle and you were right there. Yeah. But you didn't see it the first time. No, nothing happened I think, the first time. Right. And that's the point I want to kind of dig into. I think what happens, we ask, we ask for these things and we're given the answer, but we don't take in the surroundings, maybe as in your case, right? Like we didn't do the full pivot. We're looking, we're looking for the, I guess what I'm saying is we're looking for the answer our way or what we think the answer or the moment or the signal's gonna be. Mm -hmm. Instead, you know, you turn, you turn left, you saw the chicken shack, but you didn't do it, which was great. And yet you had one more night of suffering in, in the in the graveyard cemetery. And then God says, all right, well, if he's really not going to listen, I'll just make him walk right into somebody. Like, <laughs> butthead, so, so to say, yeah. right? Like, yeah. boom, put this person right in front of him. And what do you think of that? I mean, I, you know, I'm sure there's been other points in your life where you're like, you ask the question, you ask for an answer. And it, it like you're like, oh, it did come to me the right way the first time, but I had to see it differently the second time or another way. Yeah, you know, it goes back to Steve Jobs, man. You can never connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking back. You know, mm, and that's one of those quote. Yeah, that's that's one of those moments right there, you know? Hundred percent. Yeah, it is. So you meet Bob Allen and uh you get into life speaking and what happens uh what happens while you're there? Well, I got a job at a tire plant, right? And eventually you know, working through the tire, I wasn't making a lot of money there. I was probably making like $14 or $15 an hour at the time. But the thought had come to my head to start my own business, right? And at first I questioned that thought. And I was like, man, I was like, how are you going to start your own business, man? You don't got a car. You don't got a vehicle. You don't got a driver's license. You don't got money. You know, you have an eighth grade education. You know, I got this criminal background. And I'm living in a recovery house. But I started questioning that inner critic in my head and saying, you know, why, why couldn't I start a business? Right. What makes you any different from those people? Right. Like I have never had any substantial sober time in my life. So I was finally discovering who I was. Right? And I didn't know that there was an entrepreneur inside of me, but I was about to find out. So what I did was I ended up quitting my job at Treaded Wheel and Tire, which was on Black Gum Road in York. And my plan was very simple. Right, because I didn't have much of a plan. But my plan was this. I just literally typed out things that I knew how to do on a computer I borrowed from somebody in a printer. I just typed things in there like I could clean gutters. I could wash windows. I could cut grass. I could mulch. Easy stuff like that. I thought of a business name. I settled on Future Solutions. I liked that name because it, I didn't know what I was going to do. And that was a name that could be associated with anything. Right? 
And then I, I attached my phone number to the bottom of these things. I printed out 25 flyers and out the door I went to execute my highly sophisticated marketing plan, which was basically going to be, I was just going to walk up on doors, knock on them and sell my services. Right. And that's what I did. That's how I started my company. And I just started knocking on doors saying, Hey, my name's Dave from Future Solutions. Take a look at this list. See if there's anything on that list that you'd like a price on. Right. And that's how it all started. Somebody agreed to let me clean their gutters. And from there, I, I knocked everybody in that neighborhood and sold almost every single house a service. And I was literally pushing a borrowed wheelbarrow up and down the street that I had borrowed off of Bob Allen, who owned Life's Beacon Foundation. And I had workers with me who were also other men who were in the recovery program getting their life together. Right. And that is exactly, that was the conception. That was the business plan. That is when the business started. And that's how it got going, man. Just grit and getting rejected out there at the door and getting doors slammed in my face and people yelling at me. And, you know, all that stuff had happened to me. Yeah. But didn't stop you. You just kept no, going. No, no. I literally, you know, when I started the company, I think, you know, I wasn't even allowed to have a bank account. At the time, I had to have a probationary bank account because in the past I had gotten in trouble with the banks. So Bob was holding my money. Then I literally mm-hmm. had like $130 to my name, right? So, you know, that was my startup money right there, $130. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I think it's important to point out to people who they've got that internal dialogue themselves. They're like, well, you know, I... <laughs> They build up this this thing about themselves. Maybe there is something in their past. Maybe it's just in their head, right? Mm-hmm. And it manifests this thing into this major motion picture mm-hmm. in their mind. And they're in this theater. They're all the only one in the seat, though. They're the only one watching this story. You have the ability to change the story and look at what Dave, look at Dave's story. Eighth grade dropout, criminal record, homeless rehab, addiction, you name it. And here you are just telling that story. And because you weren't afraid of your story, or at least not now, you're not. I mean, maybe maybe back then there was some self-doubt. Mm-hmm. Sure. But now it's like, hey, here's who I was, but here's who I am. Mm-hmm. And here's where I'm going. Absolutely. I think that's so powerful, man. It is. And that's the main reason I tell it, you know? Yeah, help others get get beyond it. I love that. Mm-hmm. I love that. So you you clean enough gutters. You paint. You do some. You did gutters, uh, painting. Right? Is that what I heard? We, you know what? In the end, we started doing anything that anybody wanted. That we, we, right. we would shovel crap. If they told us, you know, do you shovel crap? Yeah, we're experts in that. Let's let's get it. <laughs> you know, it didn't matter what it was. I love that because I love that answer. Yes, we're the experts in that because ultimately. If you just boil it down to salesmanship and selling and and the transference of money and value, it's like, mm-hmm. I want the crap gone from my backyard. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, we can do that. We're the experts in that. I love that line because you knew you knew all you had to do was make sure you looked in every inch of that yard mm-hmm. and all the dog crap was picked up. Yeah. You know, and and I never hesitated. You know, um, when a customer asked something. I was quick with a number. Now I've got myself in trouble like that before. Um, <laughs> I wrote several checks that my butt couldn't cash, but um, you know, it, they were good learning experiences, right? And and yeah. stuff happens in business. You know, not every job you hit a home run, right? Some of them, right. some of them, you get paid by the experience, right? You get mm. that learning curve in there, 
And now you know how to do it, right? Now you could really start yeah. selling it. Now you could really start, you know, making a profit with it. You know, so none of it's wasted in, entre- in an entrepreneurial journey. None of the struggles are wasted. None of the money, you know, you pay for your education one way or the other. Whether you pay for it in college or you pay for it with a $50,000 mistake or a $10,000 mistake or a lawsuit, you know, so very good either way, point. you're going to pay for it. Yeah, very good point. Um, I've said it a little differently in that I didn't go to college, but I spent a lot of time studying marketing going to conferences, being in being in the right rooms, the right circles. And that's been that's been my educational investment. On top of, yes, I've I've written the checks back and, you know, um there's there's been instances where it's like, you know, we should have seen that red flag, but we mm-hmm. didn't. Yeah. You know, and we didn't pay attention. And kind of that that discernment uh that I touched on about when you're when you're sitting in your faith and you're asking for an answer, uh don't expect the answer you want to hear or maybe expect the answer you're meant to be given. Right. And that's what teaches us the lesson. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Uh, so how did you end up settling into fencing? Because you've got, you know, you've got your own thing going, man. You're, you're like market yeah. domination. Uh, so take us back to where future solutions fencing really became... Okay. Solidified. Yeah. So I had got my license back and I bought a truck. It was a 1989 Chevy Silverado five speed. It was three different colors. You know, the thing had been in multiple wrecks, <laughs> but it ran and I had my driver's right. license back. So we started being able to venture out knock more doors and talk to more people. Well, eventually I sold a fence to a church. Right. And there was a guy that I had been working with, Jeff Irwin, who he was a guy that was getting his life back together. You know, he was a general contractor. And so he had the knowledge on how to put a fence in. Right. So me and him had done this fence. Right. It didn't, it wasn't rocket science, honestly. It was a lot of hard work, but it wasn't rocket science. And when we got done with this fence, I had a good understanding of the basics for fencing. And so I ran the numbers on this and I said, man, I said, there was some, there was some profit in that. You know, that was probably the most profitable job I had done at the time. So I sold another fence, right? And at this point in time, Jeff had went, uh, gotten a job in Alabama. So I was on my own, right? So I made a lot of mistakes. And at first it was just me putting in the fences. Then I got a helper, right? And then I got some more people to help me out. But at some point in time, I had realized, I said, hey, Dave, all this other stuff isn't working out. The doing the basements, the the whatever, the cleaning the gutters. We need to pinpoint laser focus on just the fencing. And so I started gearing all my marketing towards that, gearing all my sales fields towards the fencing. I started learning everything about fencing that I could. The more knowledge that I had when a customer, you know, when I was out there doing a sale and they asked me a question, there was a point in time where I became a really good salesman. That's when I learned a lot about my industry. And I knew that there was nothing that they were going to ask me that was going to slip me up with the fences. Right. And so I just started focusing on the fences and, you know, the industry, it's a very big industry. You know, there's, um, it's very insulated injury or, um, uh, industry, you know, so, um, there was, I think there was a lot of benefit and there still is a lot of benefit for specializing in there, you know, a jack of all yep. trades, a master at nothing type deal. So right. we, we wanted to, to define ourselves as experts in this. No, this is what we do. You want somebody to clean you, you got to get somebody else, but this is what we know. Right. This is what we do. 
right? And there was a lot of value in that. Yeah. Yeah. Now that specialization thing is important. I mean, it's in, in the retail business that I co-own. We, we do mattresses and mattresses only. Yeah. We've fiddled around with other stuff in the past and we were good at it. Everybody got what they wanted. We honored their money that they invested with us, but it was, you know, 10% of our business, 90% of our headaches. That's right. You know, yeah. and, and our team couldn't focus their energy, their efforts, their knowledge on one thing, mm -hmm. you know, and, and now that peripheral stuff, I like to say to our customers, you're like, Hey, we have it. Some of that peripheral stuff that exists, like maybe headboards, um, you know, futons, things like that. We have it, but here's how it's going to go down. It's kind of like asking for a chicken dish at a steakhouse, right? It's going to be great. You're going to love it. You're going to enjoy it, but it's one choice mm -hmm. or two tops. Yep. That's mm -hmm. it because it keeps our team focused. It keeps our operations focused, our logistics focused. We don't have to upset the apple cart for this one thing over here. Right. Where everything else, all our energies are focused on that specialization. That's a very good point. Very good tactical point. So you go and build future solutions. Now you're doing fences, installing fences, but man, you're so much more than that today. Uh, because you, I mean, tell us about all that future solutions is today. Yeah. So today we have a 15,000 square foot warehouse where we manufacture fencing in, you know, so we manufacture the vinyl fencing, we manufacture the aluminum fencing, we sell to 65 different fencing companies over five different states. So we supply them with their materials for their crews and their jobs. So we have Moffat trucks and CDL drivers that go out there and deliver that stuff. Um, we have 14 installation teams that service a 40 mile radius um, from our facility in New York, Pennsylvania. Um, and so with that, we have warranty rework teams. Um, we just opened up a second location in Northern Virginia, in Purserville, right? Um, we're working on our licensing in Delaware. In Maryland now, we're going to be dropping locations out there. Uh, basically, we systemized everything so we could replicate yeah. it now. Um, but as far as like the warehouse, you know, I mean, we got CNC machines, we got forklifts, we got a fleet of vehicles, we got delivery trucks, we have admins, assistant admins, inside sales, outside sales, production managers, gate managers, CNC operators, you know, a whole entire production team, uh, stuff like that going on. And, and it's just really huge. And that's all, that's all from us just digging into this industry, right? And becoming, mm -hmm. saying, what else could we do in this industry? Not you know, reinventing the wheel, but what type of bolt-ons can we put in here? What type of services can we add? What type of cross-selling can we do? You know, and we've, we've gotten to that point, like, okay, now we know what to do. Now, how do we lean this operation down? Right. Cause there was a big part of that. Like, how do we like, yeah, all this gross revenue is good and stuff like that, but what about the net? Right. And how do we increase that net? We increase it by leaning out our operation, you know? And so we've done tons and tons of work on that, you know, um, coaching and, you know, reading the Toyota way, stuff like that, you know, Kaizen and constant improvement and JIT inventory. And, you know, it's just been so much fun. I got to say, like, out of all the entrepreneurial stuff that we do, the learning this journey and going through these, you know, struggles has been so fun. This has been so exciting. 
to do this. Yeah. Man. I mean, uh, we love it because that warehouse we're in, there was five businesses in there and we took that whole place over. Yeah. We that's that's a cool and- little, yeah. That's a cool little part of your story. That conquest of you see all this space, it's right there beside you, but it's not your thing, mm-hmm. not your business. And oh, there's that graphic too there for nice. So I have little, little different uh, colors over my shoulder, but that's cool. Like to see, yeah. to see how you've built that out. Um, you know, it's interesting. So I met you October of 23 and you had a whole crew come in and roll deep with you. Mm-hmm. And then I hear your story and, you know, obviously you share your success. And it's like, I bet you he's been at this for 10 years. You realize you got your 10 year anniversary coming up next in, in 2024. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's huge. You know, because if you really think of the, the failure rate of businesses, I mean, the percentage of businesses that even make it past their first year or five years or 10 years and that even crack a million dollars. I mean, you're talking about maybe like three out of a hundred, if that, you know, yeah. so on the success rate, if you want a good barometer, if you're doing good, you know, that's a, that's a good barometer right there. You know, so yeah. a lot of people try and I mean, and you know, in COVID man, I mean, there was a lot of startups and a lot of people are starting to, you know, go down now. Who have oh, it's yeah. up. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I love the American dream. I recorded, uh, you know, I've recorded, I had a, Dan Cricks was a guest on my show, wrote a book about the American dream, right? Yeah. And so um, I love the American dream and I don't ever begrudge anybody from starting out. But man, you're right. In COVID, everybody that had a few thousand bucks of that government money that was willing to go out and do some hard work and we don't begrudge hard work around here. Mm-hmm. I know you don't, no. but it made for some competition, didn't it? Oh, yeah. 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 No, we, we loved it. Um, we really do competition in, in my book is, is I, we, we've always loved competition, right? Competition is what makes you better. Right. And, you know, I'm not per se like on that boat with other people. Cause you know, they all got this stuff like all ships rise and all these sayings going out there. Like, you know, the bottom is competing and the tops collaborating and all that stuff you hear out there. But the truth is, you know, our business is to put other fence companies out of business. Right. I mean, let's be realistic. Um, so, when hard times come, like they're coming, right? We like this type of stuff, right? Because yep. we're prepared for it, number one. And number yep. two, it's going to lean out our competition, right? So those guys that mm-hmm. are low-balling people and bending and taking work, they're going to be gone, you know? Yeah. Um, and we like that kind of I call stuff. It, yeah, I call it creating the divide, right? So I, my competition and anybody I compete with, they're going to do what they want to do. And I'm going to do the things that I know that are going to separate. I want distance so that Absolutely. anything I'm involved in is the like, it's kind of like the lighthouse on the shore, the, the, the beacon on the top of the hill where everybody mm-hmm. wants to be. Yeah. We're going to create that divide and it it's, really it's going to be the ultimate choice. And then, you know, whatever happens to the competition, if all of that happens, but it won't be, it won't be because of anything we went and did, you know, that they view as underhanded. It'll be, we just played our game. Yeah. We had yeah, our we eye just, on the prize right. all the time. Yeah, you know, business is war without the bullets. <laughs> I got that. Love that. that is not one I've heard. <laughs> yeah. yeah I'm, a, I'm a firearms guy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it's the truth, man. I mean, love somebody's it. always trying to take a chunk out of you, man, some some point in time. Yeah. But, you know, it's part of the game and you got to love it. Yeah, well, and, and I want people not to miss, like you, not, so you took over that, you know, thousands of square feet in your warehouse where you started. And you you really kind of made yourself a vertical company. 
Mm-hmm. You know, you are your own supplier, you're a supplier to others, but that's yeah. that's just fantastic to have done all of that in 10 years. Yeah. Is, uh, it was wild. And so, you know, as we look to kind of round out our time together, it's not it's not just the Dave Gatto show. It's not just Dave Gatto's family that benefits mm-hmm. and his connections and his people. You've been uh, you've been given back, and you did something really special over the holidays this time around. Uh, mm-hmm. Why don't you share with people the the thing that your business and your success afforded you to do uh, at the holidays <laughs> and Christmas? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So we always do like our standard donations. Like we, you know, uh, we give to the, you know, we give to the animal shelters. Um, we give to, we match with our church. Um, for every pound of food they get donated, we match it with a dollar. For every dollar they get, we match it for a dollar. And that goes to our food bank. And, and we wanted to add something, you know, we had it in the bank to add something to the donation. So one of my guys, you know, he rides with a motorcycle club that works for us. And he had said, Dave, why don't we do it Toys for Tots? Right. And I was like, okay, let's do it. Now it got off to a real rocky start and I was going to scrap the whole project. I'm like, this I said, guys, listen, we just, you know, this $10,000 that we're going to put into promoting this. Why don't we just take that and buy $10,000 worth of toys with it? Right. Because we're going to end up in the negative here. So I almost scrapped it, but we didn't. So we threw this huge toys for tots event. We got, it was a huge turnout, tons of people, you know, it was DJed, um, it was catered. There was ice plunging there happening. All this stuff. Yeah, that's that's the party right there. Um, all this stuff had been going on. And we really raised a boatload of money and toys from this event. So I wanted to take the event a little bit further because they didn't need the toys for you know two weeks. So I said, how do I make this better? So I went down to the store and I bought two PS5s. Right? And I said, let's raffle these PS5s off. So we raffled the PS5s off. And one of my friends, um, uh, Mike Claudio from WinRate Consulting, he had bought and you know, he said, give me a hundred tickets. You know, they were 10 bucks a piece, and everybody started buying these tickets. So we accumulated thousands of dollars. And so we took, it might have been like four, four and a half thousand dollars. We had taken that and we went down to Walmart and bought like almost every single bike that they had on the shelf. Anything that a kid or a teenager could ride, I mean, we bought it all. We cleared their store out. And so it's a funny thing, right? We're buying these toys and, you know, we're checking them out at the register and all this stuff. And it's taking a long time. And then so, you know, we said, I told, I told um, Trevor Roy, I said, listen, bring the truck around front. Let's load these things up. Right. And so we had a bunch of staff and stuff helping us, but I can remember I had been the first one to leave with the bicycle and I got to the front of the store and the lady said, could I see a receipt? You know how they stand there at Walmart for the receipts. Mm -hmm. And I got my receipt out, but that triggered something for me, right? Cause it just, I had just actually realized that I was at the Walmart that I had been arrested in when I got sober, February 21st, 2014. I had been tackled and tased in that parking lot out there. And it was really like a redemption mm. moment for me. Like I was walking on air, coming back and like just taking it all in to realize that the, you know, the employees that were now helping us and, and escorting us through Walmart were in a positive way as before they were escorting me out with the police, right? Yeah. The security department who was out there watching our 
truck, so nothing got stolen off it before they were out there, you know, on that fateful day, man, for something else, right? And so it was a full circle moment for me, you know, realizing that, you know, I had been brought back there and was doing something, you know, bought four or $5,000 worth of bicycles to give away to kids where before I would have ran out of the store with a bicycle in my addiction like that. So that was, that was just, man, it was a God shot for me. I'm so proud to be able to do that. I love that. Yeah. Like how you say that, that's a God shot. Love that, man. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. That is very cool. Very cool part of your journey. Um, that you're adding to the story of Dave Gatto. And so uh, on that note, you got a couple books. We'll talk about those before we wrap. Um, mm-hmm. You've given away, you said in the pre-show, like 350 copies of Let Go to Grow. Uh, people yeah. can, I guess, get that from you. Just DM you on social media. We've got that with the notes uh, here in the postings, wherever you're catching this. So you can mm-hmm. get connected with Dave that way. But uh, what do they get in Let Go to Grow? So basically what it is, I boiled down the concepts of my company that, you know, have really led to my exponential growth, right? Because it took so long to get to a million, I remember, right? And then I started employing some of these principles in there, like cost cutting, joint ventureships, the different things that it talks about in the books, right? So then I could remember I started deploying this stuff and I ended up with a million dollar quarter, Right? And I said, oh man, this is working. And then we ended up with a million dollar month, right? And then a million dollar week, you know? And so I really wanted to boil like the good stuff down, like things that people could start working on immediately in their business to start, you know, increasing their profit exponentially and increasing their efficiencies and growing as a company. So it's like a step-by-step thing, an explanation of stuff in there, um, that you would use in your, it's, it's, it's very beneficial. If anybody wants it, I mean, they could just DM me, they could email me if you want to put links in there for that stuff. And I'll just give them a free copy. You know, I'm not, I'm not looking to make money off the books. I'm just looking, when you provide value to people, the universe, you get rewarded for that, whether it's monetarily or whether in other ways. I mean, if you think about it, money is a direct result of what you're putting out there. It's the value you're adding to somebody or something else. That's how it really works, right? And so for yeah. me, you know, it, it, it wasn't hard to write the book. You know, these are concepts that are very fresh in my mind that I use every day. I, I talked into a microphone and dictated it and out it comes. And, you know, I just want to give it out to people, you know, and maybe it'll leave Love something it. else. Love it. Love it. And it already is because you got another book in the works. It's... uh you told me in the pre-show you're working on it. Don't quite have a title yet. So we'll call it the future book. Yeah. Right? See how I get yeah. that future book, future office, future solutions. Mm-hmm. But you know, you'll, you'll arrive at a title and uh, I'll be sure to share that out when it comes Absolutely. with all of my folks. I'd be honored mm-hmm. to do that, man. Yeah. This has been just a lot of fun hanging out with you. Uh, I'm so mm-hmm. glad to get to know you. We've talked a little bit offline since October. We have mm-hmm. our time here. Looking forward to being connected with you, my friend. Um, Dave Gatto, it's been a pleasure to have you on. We've had future solutions. We had your website up. Where's the place that people can best go to connect with you if they if they so want to? I mean, I would just go to my Facebook page. Yeah. You know, that's the best spot. You know, I'm very active on there. I'm blogging all the time and, you know, posting about our company and different things happening and, you know, different things that are going on in my life. And that's the best way right there. Yeah. Dave, David is somebody you want in your, in your universe. He just shared a story with you, somebody that's going to never give up. 
and he wants to see you win. And uh, if he can help you do that, he'll be that guy to do it. Absolutely. David, man, love having you here. Uh, it's been a blessing. I loved our time. Thank you. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you, Jeff. Appreciate it. Yeah. All right, man. If you've loved this show, please do me a favor. Subscribe, like it, share it. That would be great. Helps us get this show out, get great messages, great people like Dave in front of others. Uh, I would be honored if you could do that for me. So do it right here before we wrap up. Just hit that button, whatever platform you're taking this in on. Maybe that's YouTube, LinkedIn, or Facebook. We'd love to see you do that. Until next time, we'll see you on The Big Ticket Life. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode of The Big Ticket Life. You've heard from another amazing guest living their own Big Ticket Life, and now it's time to live yours. First, I'd love for you to take me up on my free gift to you. Find your gift at gift.thebigticketlife.live. That's gift.thebigticketlife.live. See, all your life you've been told what is and what is impossible by the loudest voices from the cheapest seats. It's time to finally do life and business on your terms. Sure, you've heard similar things, but without clarity on what can be done, It's easy to have your customers, employees, maybe even partners, and your spouse keep you from truly living a big ticket life. My big ticket methods shift you into that investor seat, in your business, away from commodity and away from competition, into a market of one, so you can finally live your own big ticket life. So my gift to you is for you to book your discovery call today, where we'll uncover first the Chivo behaviors, those chief everything officer behaviors, that holds you back and why moving into the investor seat in your own business is critical. Two, we'll uncover the premium position that's up for grabs right now in your market that you're missing out on. And three, which big ticket methodologies are just waiting to be dropped into your business to explode your sales and profits. So again, thanks for listening to this episode. I'd love for you to take action right now, accept this gift, book your call, go to gift.thebigticketlife.live. Again, that's gift.thebigticketlife.live.